0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins, joined today by two of my friends, David Lake, who uh, is the co-host of this show. And we're also welcoming in Bud Elliott, who is with 24-7 Sports Now. Uh, I'm sure a ton of Miami fans recognize that name out there. I mean, Bud has been kind of chipping away, uh, putting stuff uh, on on the inside of the U site. Uh, bud man how how are you how are you holding up
1: i'm well guys just uh you know trying to create content here 24 7 and uh, get get through this whole pandemic and i i think we've you know pretty much done that continue to provide good value and entertainment for subscribers obviously through the smoke one of the fastest growing podcasts not even i mean in the miami market sure but just outside of that too you guys are exploding and i'm i'm happy to be on i um you know i'm director of origination over here at 24-7. So I basically try to come up with our story ideas on the national side and then you know, help, help Pat Doley uh, for story prompts for the team side. side. And then I also run podcasts. So really uh, pretty excited.
0: You're like a, a utility man. You have your hand in pretty much everything.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's, it's been interesting, but it, it it was the right fit. And that's kind of why I came over. You know, I, I when I talked to Shannon, the you know, CEO of 24 He's like, wait, so what do you do for SB nation? I'm like, well, <laughs> this, 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 and this, he's like, Hmm. Okay. That sounds actually, we could use help in basically all those areas and let's, let's go. So it seems
0: like if we were scouting you or, or giving you an evaluation you would have the athlete label just cause you do, um, every, everything. <laughs> and I, I'd be like DMing you to change positions every couple of days. Okay. I'm a receiver today. I'm a DB the next day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, David, um, this was your idea to get Bud on on the podcast and yeah. just kind of w- why, w- w- I guess, w- what are we trying to talk about on, on this episode? Because you sent me a long <laughs> list of things you want to tackle.
2: So I thought it'd be a good idea to bring Bud on, uh, you know, outside of his new role with 24-7 sports. He's also just a, an expert on on the ACC in general because his background uh, prior to, to 24-7 uh, he ran a, an FSU website daily. He he still does a very informative podcast on the Seminoles, uh, the Nullcast. Um,
1: and I, he, you're a Florida State alum, correct, Bud? I am. Yeah, went to a Florida State for undergrad and then law school at Bama. And then... so,
2: so basically, Bud's an expert on the ACC, follows the conference closely, um, and so you know with. As we know, today, Miami is going to start fall camp on August 7th. That's the plan, at least, on Monday, as of Monday afternoon. Um, So, you know, with with football right around the corner, uh, the ACC uh, schedule or teams, schedule teams being released uh, within the last week, we thought it'd be fun to bring Bud on and get kind of, because, you know. Andrew and I definitely bring our perspective, but I know me certainly I bring a Homer perspective. Uh, I think it's probably fair to say. Um, so I thought it'd be interesting to bring on a guy like Bud, who who kind of can give that national view of of maybe what what people at that level uh, think about Miami going into this season. So let's jump into it. I guess Bud, you know, just in a in a, like a big picture sense. Um, you know Miami's made a lot of changes to their program this off season. What is just your big picture view on, on what you're feeling about Miami going into this year?
1: I I, I appreciate you guys having me on to do this. Uh, I you know ultimately I'm fairly high on Miami this year. I, I think Manny Diaz has gone out, and I, we would probably all agree that if you're a, a, an in house hire, right, not, not not somebody who came from the outside, that your leash is generally a little bit shorter because you're expected to be able to identify the problems quickly and, and fix them because you've already been around uh, and and are able to understand what those problems were. And and I, I think Manny Diaz, assuming this works out, will have done a good job of like not fixing what's not broke, right? The defense is, is elite. And and has been that way for a couple of years and that, that is to his credit. And the offense last year was, just a train wreck at times. And yeah. in today's day and age, you've got to be able to score points to to win college ball games. I and mean, you've always had to be able to score points, but now you really have to be able to consistently put up points. I mean, even on very good defenses, you need to be able to drop a 30 spot or, or a 40 spot more often than not if you want to get to where you want to go. And so in, in making the change, you know, getting rid of Dan Enos, bringing in Rhett Lashley, I I think it does kind of fit that that culture. Uh, of what Miami wants to do as far as up tempo, getting getting the ball to athletes in space, all those are buzz phrases, and you hear them all over the country. But I, I do right. think it kind of applies to Miami, right? Because it, it is a, an area with with so much speed and um, an increasing use of the spread offense down there over the last decade, for sure, at the high school level. So I, that's kind of big picture. It I think he identified the problem correctly, which I mean everybody would have probably seen it, but not everybody has has the guts to make the move after just one year and and he went out and he got the guy that he thinks can help him with the offense you know go into a spread
2: um, just with that system you know are you intrigued because it's the first I mean you know on it I'm sure you know like Miami fans for the longest time took pride in we run a pro style offense Um, this is what we do we at you know the best team you know, the team that's in the conversation as the best college football team of all time, 2001 Miami, ran a pro-style offense. And so Miami fans kind of get wrapped up in that identity. Um, I think within the last decade, it's fair to say, you know, that style of offense is outdated. Um, and so Miami's kind of behind the times in that way with, with playing modern offensive football. Um, in that perspective, just how intrigued are you with, with what a Miami-type program will look like with that style of offense.
1: You know, I, I'm, I'm definitely intrigued. I, I do think that if you run a pro-style offense and you run it really well, and just for purposes purpose of the conversation, pro-style offense meaning, like, more tight ends, more, more fullback usage. You know, that, because pro-style nowadays, like, yeah, what is pro-style anymore? You know, right. so kind of as opposed to, to wide-open spread, if we're just going to call pro-style right. that, which I think is fair for you know keeping the conversation on track um I I I think it is pretty intriguing you know with Miami last year I I I was looking into some of their advanced stats before we came on there last year they were actually like 12th and 23rd in the country on offense in their two explosiveness measures Mm -hmm. but there's like it's you know efficiency down to down success rate things 180th I don't know if, if when you guys watching them but it did feel like they were extremely reliant on the big play, but yet a lot of plays just felt like they were pulling teeth just to pick five yeah. or six yards up. You know, it just when I watched them, that's kind of the sense yeah. that I got. I, I think this should create more easy yards for Miami. Um in, in, in theory, not everybody having to execute perfectly on every play, maybe. Uh, using the, the whole field and, and, and using space more. I that's gotta be the goal of of the move. I it's just such a weird time to do it for not only for Miami but for any team because of the pandemic right like like how are we going to judge teams this fall i've been thinking about this and you know on social distance the other day our video series on 24 7 i I talked to chris felica who i think is a pretty bright guy and he was like man i just you kind of got to downgrade the teams with 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 new head coaches this year because they haven't had time to input their (laughs) their their systems into place and to some extent i think with a coordinator you probably have to do a little bit for this year but if you're Miami, man, you really need this to click this year because this is a defense which should be, you know, nasty. I, I think it's got a chance in part because they brought in D.R. King and, and you know, my main questions are going to be not really so much King, but more receiver and probably offensive line.
0: Well, I think <laughs> you gotta point out, bud, that what they were saying back in the spring before this whole pandemic became a reality is if so many offensive players would meet with the media and they're they said they could learn the whole playbook in 15 minutes. So obviously you're, you're transitioning systems and like no one wants to do that. And you're, you're meeting through zoom, but it's not like they're going to a Dan Eno's offense where everyone's going under center. There's a ton of motion. Um, so I, I do think if there's one, not like silver lining, but it's kind of, kind of work out in Miami's favor, I think.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But if you were, cause you, you do a lot of uh, recruiting stuff too. You go out to these camps you know, throughout the years. Um, is there a guy on Miami's Ross, like offensively, uh, you know, particularly one of the skill guys, is there a guy on the team this year that, you know, you've seen in recruiting and, you know, maybe he was, he was a impressed you as a recruit, uh, but things haven't necessarily gone well, um, at Miami so far in that player's career. Do you feel like you could identify a guy um, offensive skill guy that this new offense might be able to unlock that potential in your opinion.
1: For sure. I, you know, I, I know I, I've been, and, and you saw him as well, but not that I expected Mark Pope to be the best player in the history of Miami, but I, I didn't expect him to be a non-factor, which to this point, yeah, what do you have last year? Like under 20 catches, you know, yeah. under 300 yards. And obviously they, they had Osborne who, Turned out to be a pretty damn good player for them. Uh, But I I think Pope is a guy you could see really explode. Did did Thomas go pro or is he back?
0: Oh, he's he's pro. But I just got to point out, you are talking to uh, David (laughs) as like the president of the Mark Pope fan club. He's like still the truther.
2: Yeah, there's no more room on the bandwagon. So uh, (laughs) Bud's the last guy on. And uh, anyone else who tries to get on after Bud, we're just kicking you off. So... I I love hearing that, Bud, because I'm with you, man. Like, as a recruit, you know, we go to these seven on seven events, and look, seven on seven isn't the end all, be all. I get it, but generally speaking, when guys dominate seven on, make plays in seven on, it translates somewhat to the college level, you know, real football. And he was a guy too who made plays in real football at the high school level too. So. I'm with you, it's been a little confusing as to why it hasn't happened yet at Miami. Um, you know, we, we've heard some things where, you know, he was having a tough time learning the playbook, etc. So this new uh, simplified offense, um, hopefully, we'll see for Mark Pope, uh, helps, helps get the most out of him, because I do think we would all agree like the physical skills are there in terms of speed, route running, separation, etc what are, what are your expectations? Like, what, what do you think Derek King will look like at quarterback, you know, at Miami, obviously he's going to be playing against more power five competition uh, than he was at Houston. My sense, like my expectation is kind of, I think he'll put up the numbers. I think he'll put up big plays But I don't necessarily think he'll be like the most efficient passer, um, you know, in terms of like completion percentage and all that stuff. But I think his his dual threat ability will open up some big plays, whether that's him running for some yards or you know throwing the ball downfield with some success. Do you agree? Disagree? What's your take on that, Bud? I I
1: totally agree. Yeah. One thing about this league that I, I think some of the national media kind of miss, and I've picked this up talking to various head coaches in the ACC over the years, like the talent in the ACC top to bottom is not what it is in some other conferences, but the D line talent in the ACC is, yeah. is really good. There are a lot of teams that can get home with four in, in the ACC. And so you have a lot of teams that don't play a ton of man coverage. Cause if you get home with four, you, you can play a lot, a lot of different combinations of zone behind it. And it can make, make life tough on, on some of these offenses, especially the ones that want to chuck the ball around. A whole lot. I I agree with you, by the way, on um, on King from the efficiency standpoint of the passer. I I think he will be an upgrade over what Miami had by a lot, but I don't think he will be as efficient as he was in the AAC. If you look at the AAC, the the number of defensive players they put in the league is is really just not not very many. Um, and granted, you could say well he had AAC talent around him at Houston, and that that's a fair uh, counterpoint to that. But uh, I I do think he'll be better than what they had in in Perry uh and and Jaron Williams. Um, you know, that that kind of surprised me a little bit that that the, neither of those guys worked out. I was never a really big Perry guy, but I thought Williams would be better than that. your your point on the legs of um of King is is really good. He's an excellent runner. And yeah. I don't mean that to say in a way like he can't throw, but I do think he's a good enough runner to wear like he could have probably transferred to some P5 teams and played receiver. Like he was actually a yeah. very, very dangerous guy for Houston as a receiver slash combo guy. Yeah. Was it first year or second year that, that, that he played there? He, he switched positions. Oh, both. both. Okay.
2: Um, he actually returned a kickoff for a touchdown. I mean, it was against uh, an FCS team, but still like to think about a quarterback having the ability, it was like 99 yards. Um, I mean, yeah, you're right. The wheels are there. And to your point, you know, beyond the spread, my, like Miami's running the spread for the first time. Miami's also never had a quarterback that can run like this. And, you know, ever really since Miami's mattered. So, you know, I'm curious to see how that looks too. Because the skill talent has not produced yet uh, at a high level, but, you know, they still have speed. And so if defenses have to pay attention to D'Erik's legs, you got to think hypothetically that's going to
1: open things up for the other skill guys. You know, and to your point, I I think the way I want to distill this is, is is as follows: like I don't know that this D.R. King offense with the limited prep time and obviously it is simpler, which I think helps, but it's still not ideal to to go through you know a COVID offseason when you're impl- sure. implementing a new system. But I think the games like you know only scoring. 17 against Central Michigan, only only right. scoring 21 against that Georgia Tech, which was a pretty bad defense. You know, yes. failing to score 20 points against Duke, obviously the FIU game. I, I'm not convinced this Miami offense will put up points against elite defenses, right? But I'm pretty sure that it's going to put up enough points to avoid like the WTF losses that are just 100 on the offense, right? I mean, those oh, four games were were offense, yeah, driven.
0: I mean, but I've been saying for the longest, like they don't need to score 35, 40 points. They just need to score four touchdowns a game. You get to the 28 mark, like that six and seven season is now a lot, looking a lot different. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, uh, getting shut out against Louisiana Tech, uh, the the way they finished the
1: year on offense, I I think probably speaks to some, probably some internal issues that, that, you know, is beyond what I can speak about. But my guess is, I mean, you go out there and look like that. You had some other stuff going on. and Hopefully they've remedied.
0: You mentioned. Okay, go ahead. No, let's take a quick break. And then on the other side, let's talk about kind of the the new ACC schedule because I know Bud wrote um, some real interesting insights, kind of re ranking that.
1: Okay, picture this it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new
2: Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.
0: uh, a story obviously on 24 7 sports.com kind of um, who who got the short end of the stick and who's got maybe more of a, a favorable schedule now I think you had Miami kind of in the road got a little bit more difficult category you kind of I guess just provide some insight into that obviously Miami has added Louisville uh, and Clemson to the schedule Clemson we all know how good they are um, just kind of your thoughts on on the changes and how they apply to Miami
1: Sure, yeah. So I, I, what I did basically was I, I took my old projections and I, I looked at the, at the winning percentage that I had each team at, and then I reran them with, with the new schedule. And so if your winning percentage projection went down, then obviously I think your road got a little bit tougher. If it went up, then your road got a little bit easier. Uh, so I, I did this for all uh, 14 or I guess 15 teams now since we have Notre Dame <laughs> yeah. in the league. Uh, so Miami uh, doesn't get to play Duke now which I had projected as, as a relatively easy win. I know that Duke has not been easy for Miami, but <laughs> ultimately, like, I'm just looking at team quality versus team quality. Sure. Uh, and then it picks up Clemson, Louisville, and, and NC State. Uh, Clemson, if you add Clemson to your schedule, your schedule almost certainly gets tougher in, in, in the ACC. It, it's really hard to to kind of come up with a, with a combo of four teams to where it doesn't happen. Maybe if you grab, like, you know, Wake, BC – Syracuse to go with Clemson I I could be talked into it but almost certainly if you put Clemson on there uh it's it's gonna get a little bit tougher Louisville's not a pushover I'm not quite as high on Louisville as some people are because their defense was almost the worst in the league last year and I'm not convinced they're gonna take that like another big it's hard to go big leap and then follow it up with another big leap the next year like Bill Conley my friend at ESPN talks about like the sustaining the gains year. a lot of times after you have a big jump, you don't take another big jump immediately next year. It's kind of like big jump, show you can sustain a little bit. Big jump the year after. So I, I still think Louisville, you know, is not a, uh, it's not a guaranteed win for Miami. But it's it's not. I, I would have Miami as a favorite in that game. Um, as far as their overall schedule strength, I, I wrote and I kind of ranked the schedules from uh, from brutal to uh, to easy. I was like, okay, that's, that's kind of fair. I, I had Miami in the uh, the challenging category, which was like the not the very toughest. The toughest schedules this year, if you want to go look, BC, Wake, Florida State. I think Wake is by far the toughest schedule, actually. But Miami kind of in that category, uh, you know, Miami doesn't get, have to play Notre Dame, but they do play six of the top seven teams other than Notre Dame, which is not easy. Uh, meanwhile, UNC, who back when we had divisions, um, would obviously be benefiting this from even more, Ah, uh, UNC has the easiest possible schedule, uh, according to my thing. And the other two teams who have easy schedules, Duke and NC State, all kind of happen to be in the same state. If you're scoring at home, uh, so
2: <laughs> yeah. Which uh, which game on Miami's schedule do you th- is just intrigues you most? I mean, what I mean, obviously, Clemson's the new team, so that's intriguing. But are you intrigued by how the the UNC game goes, the Virginia Tech game goes? Which game do you kind of look at on Miami's schedule? And like, I really want to see how, how they do here. I,
1: I think it is UNC. Uh, I'm I'm bumping up teams who have that quarterback continuity, that passing game continuity, and, and the coordinator continuity. I was actually not very high on UNC coming into the year because I, I felt like the improvement that they had at the end of the year was against some teams that were a bit questionable. Uh, and I think people were kind of ignoring some of their losses and some of their close wins. and or overrating them. But now I'm on the bandwagon because I, I do think it's going to be hard to score points this year with a lot of new players and new systems in place, especially against, like, elite teams. And we've seen UNC do that a little bit. That, that game uh, is very likely to decide who finishes second or third in the ACC. Yeah. And I, and I, I want to include an entertainment in that as well. But, like, if, if UNC beats Miami – there's a pretty good chance they could go 8 and 1 in the league. If Miami right. beats them, Miami could, you know, could also go 8 and 1 in the league. Cuz if you're good enough to beat UNC, you lose to Clemson, you got to think you can probably beat everybody else. But so far in the last couple of years Miami has not been able to avoid the slip up, which a lot of teams can't avoid it.
0: If well, you, you were you mentioned Louisville uh, earlier. I think that's like the potential kind of slip up game cuz I think that has a shootout written all over it. I, I mean, I totally agree with you on the defensive stance but um they kind of had their way at times last season with Miami um you know scoring 2-2 well had a uh, at a long gain so I think that's one of the matchups for Miami that's not that's not really favorable
1: yeah there's like he Scott Satterfield's a really good coach at Louisville the, the guy knows what he's doing offensively I'm just not sure that Louisville has the defensive talent to to get enough stops when it matters and and so I think Miami being able to convert and score the easy points when, when they're there and just be competent is is potentially going to be a real boon to them uh, this year. You can be honest. You know, if if you don't think
2: uh, it it's a good matchup for Miami at all, or Miami's going to get blown out, et cetera, et cetera, just say so. But uh, how do you feel like Miami
1: matches up against Clemson? I think Miami's defense against Clemson actually matches up. Okay, right. I love Trevor Lawrence. I think Clemson's talent is awesome, but they did lose Justin Ross. And Miami is a team that can play a lot of man coverage and they're not afraid to leave guys out on islands and they're going to make teams make them pay. Now, I'm not saying Clemson can't make them pay, but I'd be a little more scared of Clemson if I'm Miami if they had Justin Ross. And I'm going to pick Clemson to win that game and I'm I'm going to pick Clemson to win that game by double digits. The Clemson game is the game where I really feel like. I don't trust Miami's offense to score on Clemson. I'm not convinced that any any of the matchups up front with Clemson's D line and Miami's offensive line are actually Miami's favorite. Like if you match them up, you know, okay, you're going to have one double team. The rest of them, I'm probably going at advantage Tigers. uh, I I think this is an example of an area where by keeping the offense so simple, we know Brent Venables runs an extremely complex defense. You don't know if you've had enough time in the offseason to work through all this with your players and all the potential answers. You know, for me, my optimism on Miami is I, I think they're going to have far fewer slip-up games this year, assuming that the offense and, and like the roster stays together with all this COVID stuff. And who knows? I mean, you might have like right. an All-American DN next to like a walk-on D tackle at some point this year. <laughs> uh, but I I think Miami's defense matches up okay. The offense, I just that's the game I don't I don't really trust it. And like, which of Miami's receivers do you really trust? Sure. To go up against Clemson's secondary because Clemson will blitz you to death if if you can't make them pay for it.
0: Well, sure. David's answer clearly will be Mark Pope.
1: Mark Pope. Do you, do I like Mark Pope against game. like Duke and like I like Mark Pope <laughs> against Georgia Tech and you know like bounce back against the medium ACC teams.
0: This is kind of an off the wall question, bud, or for you, bud. And but you just kind of brought it up. Like, how weird do you think things could potentially get? uh in terms of players having to sit out or or whatnot um because i think it could get like wild so uh, yeah it might get real
1: weird uh, so two weeks ago i was talking to some coaches and, and I, I wrote this article called all hands on deck teams you know scheming to maybe play at, like all 100 players on their roster and uh, your listeners can check it out on 24 7 sports just google like all hands on deck 24 um, 7. Dude, like they really are going to have to come up with some creative stuff. I don't think you're going to have team meetings together in the same room this year. You're probably still going to go like half the guys and then half the guys on Zoom. Are you ever going to have all four of your quarterbacks in the same meeting room at one time? Like You can't really risk that. I think you're going to see some teams take and change how they practice to where normally you go for individual period for a certain portion of the practice and then team period for a certain portion of the practice. I think you might have teams in the interest of safety conduct Three or four practice sessions early in the week of smaller groups, and to where you work on all your indie stuff on those days, to where you can minimize the number of days that you have to have exposure when you're actually running team stuff, right? There's a lot of different creative things you have to do here. And, you know, I'm talking to some coaches, they're like, look, the real key for us is making sure that everybody knows how to run the base of our system before we get in any kind of complicated stuff. And that doesn't just mean hey, the guys we think will have to contribute know the base and then let's move on to you know, to the more complex stuff. I mean, we're talking like your walk-ons have really got to know what you're doing. Your third stringers, your, your true freshmen, could easily be called upon to contribute and play a couple hundred snaps. I mean, you might have these guys who are quarantined for for two weeks. And if you get a couple of those at one position, we've all have had examples in the past of a team you follow. It's like, oh, wow, who are they going to play now? Who is this guy? And you pull out the media guide and you're like, wait, you know,
0: so it, it could get really weird. I, I think to kind of tack onto that, I mean, we're, we're just thinking about offense and defense like starters, but what happens in special teams, like if you're, if you're down, like they it get just wild, having a, just straight yeah. walk-ons out there.
1: We're, and, like, who is Miami's emergency quarterback? If, if all their QBs go down, who is the guy for them who played QB in high school, if we think back?
0: Tate Martell, man, come on!
1: I forgot. I, I thought he. Wait, is well, he still he there? Is still a quarterback? He's still on the team. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. But Tate Martell is, becomes one of your most valuable players because he can also play wide receiver.
1: <laughs> That's actually really true. Oh, the Tate Martell redemption story—if if he like balls out during COVID, would would be <laughs> just content for days. So I got—I just got like two more
2: questions for Bud. So I guess the first one, you know, we can't—we can't. We can't let you get out of here without uh you know giving your thoughts on Florida state um you know obviously Mike Norvell's had to inherit a tough deal this off season with with the covid situation, and frankly, the new a c c schedule was not kind to Florida state, but um you know, just wanted to get your thoughts. Because, uh, okay, if, if if any Florida State fans are listening to this podcast because Bud's on, you know, I do have fun with Florida State on the message board. Um, but honestly, it's all in good fun. Me personally, I like seeing when, when Florida, Florida State, Miami are all kind of, uh, you know, in the mix as top 15, top 20 teams in the country and, and duking it out. As a guy who's from the state of Florida, that's when college football's the most fun to me. So I guess my question to you, bud, is like, what, what are you expecting just Mike Norvell, Florida state this year? My, my interpretation is, look, I think it, I mean, it's hard to do nowadays, but I think patience is kind of needed there um, at Florida state for, you know, long-term success. What's your kind of feel on, on this year and then just projecting past this year too.
1: Sure. So I, I wrote maybe about a month ago that, that I thought we should really consider this year, year zero for, for all new head coaches, like who are not you know in, in, internal hires. And I just in talking to these different head coaches, we've, we've interviewed Norvell as well, it, the, the chance to actually impart your culture on the program is, is really limited when you don't have your guys there in person, when you don't have your traditional off-season workouts, when you don't have any of that kind of stuff going on, uh, it, it can be pretty tough. They did kind of get get screwed on the schedule this year to the extent yeah. that anybody can be, I guess. But they also weren't really expected to win anything this year, so I don't think Florida State fans should be whining about it, right? It's like it's not like you cost yourself a chance yeah. at a Natty or conference title because you had to play one or two more tough games. I mean, you you were expected to probably make a bowl. I think that's yeah harder now. Probably still the expectation. I, I think if they go five and five, that that's a a pretty Agreed. I I think you should probably applaud that effort if if they manage to pull that off. Um, You know, we'll see if they can. Overall, like Norvell, when I dug into him, um, he did take over for Justin Fuente at Memphis, and Fuente had things going in the right direction, obviously uh, at Memphis. But it is tougher, as we've seen, to go from like below average to good, or excuse me, it's it's tougher to go from kind of like good to elite as far as G five status than it is just from you know, good to to decent or, or good or you know, basically like, like the 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 gap right. is uh, is a little bit different there. So he, he did a good job there at Memphis. He seems to have a good handle on quarterbacks and has done a good job recruiting quarterbacks so far. Uh if you know if you like Purdy and, and Altmire and those guys. We'll see how they turn out. Um it's definitely a longer longer term rebuild. I think it, it's not going to be a one or two or three year rebuild, especially not given this offseason. You know Everything I said about, hey, a little bit skeptical that Lashley can do all this in one offseason, take it multiply it by like a 1,000 when you're talking about every single coach or yeah. most of the coaches are new, all that kind of stuff. So um, we'll see what happens there. I, I, I imagine he'll do a good job. It is hard to do a bad job for State over the long term, sure. and so he has that in his favor, but I, I don't think it'll be quick.
0: Uh, just to f- kind of follow up on this one, we we all know recruiting is – kind of the lifeline, the bloodline of a program. i just wondering, from someone who's covered Florida State over the years, what is your initial assessment with Mike Norvell's like strategy and game plan? Obviously, it's weird. Hasn't had a chance to really get anyone on campus, but it seems like they're kind of not shying away from South Florida, um, but they haven't really pressed into there.
1: Yeah, they, they seem to really be relying on – Existing relationships and like guys that, that their recruiters already kind of kind of knew, right? So you know Dugan's does some South Florida stuff, and and so he you know he's he's still recruiting the area, uh, but I, I think that they were banking on going in there and making, you know, establishing new relationships or or strengthening existing relationships, and they didn't you know they weren't able to get kids on campus for the most part. Obviously, nobody got to go out and see kids this spring because of, of the cancellation of the evaluation period uh, and they haven't been able to have their summer camp so the opportunity to make those relationships you know has been virtual only and i think that they've kind of doubled down on recruiting guys and areas that they really trust during this period you know they, they have what probably as many kids from from texas as they do from miami this year well that's because you know they, they got one of tcu's best recruiters and chris thompson from over there and just they don't want to take guys they haven't seen in person. Is what they told me. Uh, sure. You know, when I interviewed Mike Norvell on, on 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 social distancing, he's like, no, "We really want to see these guys in person. We don't want to take commits from kids who haven't visited. Uh, you know, that 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 type of thing." Now, that was like, I think April or maybe May. At some point, you're going to have to probably roll the dice on some kids who you haven't seen, and we're all kind of in that that yeah that crunch right now. I mean, they just took a kid the other day. Uh, from Niceville who I don't think they had seen in person, but they, they got some, some video and, and some photos
0: on him. The, uh, um uh, oh shoot, uh, chemo chemo. Yeah. Um, well just, just, and, you know, I, I'm a personally a fan of him. I think he's better than the, the slaughter kid, but,
1: uh, and a lot of our questions were, I mean, and, and I was tell you was on a rankings call, have you seen him? No. Have you seen him? No. <laughs> Does he have verified measurements? No. Well, <laughs> Florida state found out that he had an 83 inch wing. And they're like, all right, well, with that, yeah. with that, with the film, we're going to go ahead and take him. And you know, so ultimately, they are not doing a very good job in South Florida, though, at all at this point. Like, you can't say that they are. Is is some of it or a decent bit of it COVID related? Probably, yeah. uh, but it's hard to make that determination. Like, how do you parse that out? Right? They didn't have a staff that was loaded up with South Florida aces who just couldn't get out there on the road. I right. got some guys who I think are pretty good recruiters, but you know, it, it is it is tough to parse that building on the recruiting stuff, you, you write, you know,
2: I guess monthly the sunshine state scorecard uh, one of the most commented on articles, I think it's <laughs> written. Did it hit of, a thousand yet? It, it's uh... it's, mean, it's, it's interesting. I, I tap out after like 10 pages of comments, but uh, so it, I guess where I'm going with this now is, you know, Miami this summer has made a, a decent uh, is is on a decent run looks like, you know, things are trending positively with, with some other five-star kids and, and Jason Marshall and Leonard Taylor. Um, you know, essentially the article is you're, you're scoring, uh, which team, it's kind of a two-part deal, right? So you kind of lay out which of the in-state teams is doing the best in the state. And then you basically say, are these in-state teams doing a good job of keeping, uh, the top programs that poach talent from the state of florida are they doing a good job of keeping those programs out i guess where i'm going with this now is you know let's say miami does end up landing jason marshall and leonard taylor that would give them three five stars you know as things kind of currently stand in the class Um, would that you know and then along with how they typically do recruiting let's say that that extends out through signing day two uh with you know the general four stars from south florida that they kind of always land if if miami lands three five-star guys and things kind of hold with the rest of the class in your opinion is that kind of like good enough for miami to claim to win the state of florida this cycle
1: oh i i think if if they if they pull taylor marshall yeah that, that would be be pretty much Lock City, I I, I think, um, assuming that they continue to do the other stuff. Yeah, like you said, uh, Miami's doing a really good job in, in South Florida this year. I, I think a lot of people are going to be quick to say this is all because of COVID, and I, I don't think that's true, right? They've clearly, especially the guys who have been on there, on their staff since Diaz, what was the DC? I've uh, done a good job of of building those relationships over the past couple of years, so I, I think I it's think... it's ignorant to say it's just COVID, right? right. Um, now. It Does helps. the COVID thing help? Absolutely, yeah. because literally this is like they're the only school that some of these kids have seen. A lot of these kids have not been able to get up and see, or at least not recently see, a Georgia or a Clemson or, or an Alabama um, and whatnot, whereas normally they'd be on bus tours, right? They, they'd they go around, they, they'd see it. You'd have some of these little select tours that go around and, and hit up a couple of SEC schools over the summer. So Miami is one of the teams. I think USC is the other, uh, who are probably – it's weird to say the word benefit with COVID on recruiting, but like the least negative impact uh, being felt from from COVID. I think it's probably the more PC way to say that. Uh, They're clearly, you know, there's some benefit uh, to all these, all this talent not being able to go see other places, but they're doing a really good job in South Florida this year. And that's changed recently. I mean, probably six, eight weeks ago, I did not project Miami to land some of these kids that they're landing. And it just, I think eventually these kids are like, well, damn, Camps aren't happening. Visits aren't happening. Right. I need to go ahead and make sure I get a spot where I know. And yet I don't want to imply that like they're just securing a spot and they're going to try and flip later. I mean, if visits happen, who knows, but yeah, sure. like I do think that there's some of that everybody else is committed. I need to go ahead and commit type thing. Well, where am I going to commit to probably the place that I know about by far the most, but I mean, maybe you guys have a different opinion as far as when it started to shift. But to me, it was like kind of six weeks ago when, when I wrote the, the June sunshine state scorecard, I was like, you know, you kind of would expect Florida to do a little bit better than they are right now. Miami's still in the lead, technically, although I would project UF have to, to kind of have it. And then this month, it was like, yeah, Miami's probably going to get this.
0: It's just, to me, it's like a, a perfect storm or, or a combination of a ton of different things. Like COVID helps, but Miami's been pretty act proactive with the whole Black Lives Matter movement or just yeah. what's going on in the country, you know. I know other schools have done this to having the the entire team register to vote, but they released yesterday that they created a council on that. And um, I think the name, image, and likeness, Miami's really kind of playing that up. And, you know, you got a new offense. It's just – it's been a ton of different things. And once you get that momentum going, it kind of just keeps rolling in in recruiting. Oh,
1: there's no doubt. There's a lot – and – you can get positive momentum out of that, but there are some schools I think which could be negatively recruited for their, for how they handled some of those issues. Right. And we've all seen on Twitter, some of the, you know, some of the videos going around of, of certain things coaches have said in the past that are maybe coming back to bite them now. Uh, Miami's handled that well. And the, the, like you said, perfect storm. I mean, being on a Miami podcast, clearly like that's, that's a great terminology to use anyway, but it, but it's so <laughs> accurate.
2: Yeah. I think uh, i i I don't have anything else for bud. Do you, Andrew, anything else? before we? Uh, my,
0: my last thing, Bud. I know you're big PGA tour golf, better my myself included. Uh-huh. Um, give me your, uh, give me, give me the, the, the pick for this week.
1: You know, I, I'm actually probably going to get on Paul Casey, uh, at, at, at some long odds. He, uh, he, he's not, not played very well recently, but I, I think his game fits the PGA course. Uh, so I, my ROI over the weekend, by the way, was like 0.0001%. Ooh, nice. Get yeah. Profit. That's like wagering five grand and winning a
0: ten. So uh-huh. that's
1: great. Hypothetically, right?
0: Hypothetically, right. <laughs> uh, but tell everyone where they can find your work. Obviously, 247sports.com, but you also have your own podcast, Plug Away. Yeah, guys, check out
1: 247sports.com. We're writing a lot of the national articles. If you want more Florida State stuff, obviously, you got to shout out nils 247 Pod as well on the bench. But if you want even more Florida State content, uh, NOLCAST is something we've been doing now for for almost a decade. I think we have pretty good insight over there as well. So be sure to check it out. I appreciate you guys uh, listening.
0: Uh, not a problem. We'll talk to you guys later. Take care.